Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the president of Work Choice Solutions, providing leadership training, coaching, and consulting services since 2000. That would be like, you know, 21 years if my math is right. His human resource and organizational development consulting career spans 30 years and includes key leadership and P&L responsibilities within a variety of industries, including manufacturing, healthcare, financial services, and nonprofits. His first book, The Navigator's Handbook, 101 Leadership Lessons for Work and Life, was released in 2010. His second book, The Navigator's Compass, 101 Steps Towards Leadership Excellence, had a nationwide release in 2016. Additionally, his articles have appeared in a wide range of publications. His strong commitment to community service has resulted in him receiving several awards, including Employer of the Year and Business Leader of the Year for his volunteer work. So please welcome today, David O'Brien, my guest on today's show. Hi, David. Hey, Dr. Gary. It's a privilege to be able to spend some time with you today to be part of your wonderful podcast and to share our thinking, the common ground that we share around leaders, uh, leadership, and and really what goes into making that happen, right? So it's a privilege. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this today. So let's start with your journey to, uh, I don't know what the percentages are, I haven't done the research on this, on the number of people that have written two books. But as you go down the path, there's fewer, The Navigator's Handbook and The Navigator's Compass, both about leadership. Yep. Talk a little bit about how you came to start this path of writing these books and what it's meant to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. So it really came out of feedback from clients. So, you know, you referenced that I started this business 21 years ago. In April this year, I celebrated the 21st anniversary. And I had been in my last corporate job prior to that for 10 years, where I had the P&L responsibility and one of the first roles that I had with P&L responsibility. And, uh, and I got burnt out. The short story is I got really burnt out and I decided I needed to take a break and take some time off to sort things out. In the last five or six years of that job, I had been doing a lot of program development. I was part of a, a design and development team where we were creating new programs. I love writing. I, I consider myself a trainer. Probably first and foremost has been in my blood forever and ever. And that's kind of where I, I get a lot of joy. I get a lot of joy out of all the work I do. But that's something I've been doing for so, so long. Well, anyway, as I started this business, it wasn't really my plan. I, I just wanted to take some time off. But then I had clients reaching out to me who knew my work, who respected my work and, and you know, would say things like, hey, we hear you're, you're going out on your own or you're out on your own. You want to help us with this project and so forth and so on. Well, anyway, I just, you know, it kind of it blossomed from there. But but the point to your question is I would develop programs for clients and workbooks and things of that nature. And I started getting feedback from some of my my clients saying, you know, this is a really this is really good content. Have you ever thought about writing it, you know, putting it in a book? 
And I thought, well, you know, I had the usual self-doubt. Well, who am I to write a book? You know, there's a lot smarter guys and gals out there than me. I'm sure they have, you know, I've read a lot of leadership books and I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe, maybe I should consider this. And then I got more and more of that feedback. And then I had a, a really terrific mentor friend of mine who I shared that with. And he said, you know, that that's telling me that it's time for you to do it. And, and you need to kind of get clear on why you're going to do it and everything else will fall into place. And so I started thinking that through and mapping that out and, and he helped guide me through a lot of it. He had published several books before me. And at any rate, it just kind of came together. But but I will tell you the, the first book, The Navigator's Handbook, 101 Leadership Lessons for Work and Life was almost four years in the works. Because I just, I just kept, it kept taking different directions. And the original intent, and you'll get a kick out of this, particularly because of your background, I was really going to be taking more of an academic approach to it, where I had a really great question set. I was working with a couple of buddies that had their doctorate and were real heavyweights in the, in the area of assessment and design and that type of thing. And, and I began to frame it in the context of, well, I'll go out and I'll interview 100 CEOs with a really good question set, and then I'll distill their wisdom into a formula for leadership success. And, and the probably the, the most wonderful part of that that I had not anticipated was that I would interview you, let's say I would interview you as the CEO of XYZ Company, and then I would think of what you told me, and I'd think of a story from my work that illustrated your point really well. And, and I would then use that story to illustrate your point. And this just kept happening. And then I kind of got like cold feet and I said, well, wait a second, this is not about my stories. It's about Gary's, Dr. Gary's story, you know, um, so m maybe I should just stick to that. And then anyway, the, the, the rest is history. I finally got the courage and the clarity to say, wait a second, you know, these are good stories and there there's a lot of lessons in them. And if I make it in, you know, if I put it in that context as real life stories of, of examples of good and bad leadership and what we can do as leaders in all of our all of our relationships to be role models there's value in that and so fortunately that's how it came about and then and then the second book is really a continuum of the first book the the navigator's compass so i want to go back though i want to go back for a second if you will yep. about something you said early on because i had the same thoughts and i think many of us do early on when you're reading experts you're reading experts on leadership or if you're a medical professional or yeah. if you're a, an artist, it's it's like, what really, what do I bring to the party? Yeah. And often we, we self-doubt. We have this self-doubt. Yep. Right. So true. And, so true. and we have to overcome the self-doubt first. And yeah. what I've learned and some of the conversations you and I have had in the past is we have a similar philosophy of leadership, but a very different way of communicating that philosophy, mm. which means that together yeah. you and I can communicate the ideas, the concepts, the principles, the skills, the behaviors of leadership in a way that more people will hear and be able to apply, which is the power of collaboration. Yes, I am. But you had to overcome the doubt. You had to overcome. And part of that overcome, and I want to I want to really highlight this, was your mentor. Yes. Yeah. Right? So you hear your clients. They say you're wonderful. You got to write a book. You, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. But <laughs> They're just am I really nice. saying, yeah. Right. Am I really saying anything different than anybody else? That's is it right. really... Right. Yeah. But your mentor says, David, David, wake up. Yeah. See the value and recognize that you have a voice to be heard. 
Yeah, yeah. And that and that was really the tipping point. That was really the turning point for me because I trusted I had such a deep really profound trust and respect for this person. He had been such an influence on my life and I thought, well, okay, he's a he's a lot smarter than I am. So, if he, if he said that I've got some wisdom here and I have and that the world needs to hear my stories, I'm not going to question him, you know. So, I, right, I, I absolutely. Kind of, that gave me the that kind of put the wind in the sails, you know, to go forward. And it's interesting because people close to us, whether it's clients or friends, they will say this, and you kind of, you know, you, you kind of discount it. Even our spouse, you discount. That's right. That's right. It, right, and then somebody outside says it, and you go, "That's a really good idea." That's now, right. with tail between our legs, we have to go back to our spouse and say, uh, "I'm going to write a book." I've been telling you that. 10 years. That's exactly um, so, right. Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful thing, right? It's ex- it is. It is. Yeah, you, you understand my world quite well. It's the collective listening because the other part of this is I'm listening to you as you wrote this book. It took four years. It took me four years to write my first book and like a year to write my second book. So you yeah. learn from the process, right? But you adjusted the process. You had a way of going about it. You tried something, you adjusted it, you changed it. You looked at it different ways. You were trying not to, for it to be self-centered with your stories. Right. You wanted right. other stories. Whatever changes and adjustments you made, you learned tremendous lessons from that process, didn't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so many lessons, you know, that, that touch so many parts of my life, you know, I mean, be, beginning with that. That, that self-doubt issue, beginning with that clarity of my voice, continuing to how these lessons and stories apply to other people in my life, not, not just clients, but family, getting much clearer, a lot more clarity on how these stories apply to leadership in every single role we play, You know, particularly the second book. The second book brought that level of clarity that I didn't have in the first book. Well, before you get in that, let me let me position this because that's exactly what I read in your preface in your second book yeah. is the shift that you made in this idea of what navigating and leadership was. Yeah. So talk a little bit about from the first, the second, it, there was a bunch of years there in the middle. You're yeah. learning, constantly learning. And you made a shift from one book to the next on the way you define. Oh, by the way, by the way, I have to say this. I love your concept of navigation. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's not a reading a map and following a map. It's having a compass. And I, I get this thought of you're you're on a ship mm-hmm. and you're trying to get from point A to point B. And as we know, ninety nine percent of the time you're off course mm-hmm. and you're adjusting and getting back on course. Yeah. And then you've got big waves, you've got no waves, you've got things that are hitting you, throwing you off course. Yeah. You know, you gotta have a team, all these kinds of things that you talk about with navigation. So what shifted in your mindset? from the first to the second book in that idea of navigation? Uh, Great question. And so, you know, in the first book, I thought of navigating as just taking the high road. I mean, I had the connection to our moral compass then, and and that was really the framework, you know. So when when I kind of reflected back during the writing of the first book, and I thought about all the good and bad leaders that I had worked for or known of, or read about over my career, you know, previous to that point, prior to that point, one of the things that I discovered, and this came out really in the first book, that, you know, one of the things that great leaders have in common is they're not only really clear on what their values are, they're really clear on how they live their values and and how they show up, right? You and I know that. I think many people know that. And so in that first context, you know, in the first book, 
navigating was really about choosing to tap into our moral compass and take the high road to do the right thing, right, for the right reasons. And, and, and as I got deeper into it, and then, you know, four, four years, five years between the books, and a lot more application of the whole, you know, the first book, I began to realize that, that it was really, it had a very strong correlation to accountability. And that accountability was saying that, you know, it's up to me that I, I, I am the chief architect and sculptor of this. I, I am responsible for my happiness. I'm responsible for my success. I'm responsible for how I show up and how, and, and how I use my influence. And so that, that expanded view of navigating took the original thoughts, you know, particularly at the core, our moral compass, because I, it's my belief that our values reside in our moral compass and we all have one. And so, you know, it builds off that. And I think probably the, the most important part of that transition for me or that expanded thinking was, again, getting clear on the fact that this can show up in every part of our life. You know, I, I can be, you know, I can be a role model because I think that's a big part of it. I think in many ways, that's the most important thing I've learned about leadership in 30 years. And that's that it's a lot about being a role model for the behavior we wish to see in others. So if I want kindness, if I want respect, if I want integrity from other people, I need to be walking that, right? I need to be living that uh, and showing up that way. And so for me, that, you know, it leads me to, an important guidepost for me and the leaders I work with. And that, that is leadership congruence, right? So that example before of the leaders who had not only great clarity of what their values are, but how they live those values, that's the whole congruence piece, right? You, you, you and I know that. I think many people know that. And so that was kind of the shift. So ultimately, I just, it just expanded my view to, to understand it more and to really embrace the opportunity that it represents to, to be doing it every day, you know, and to be mindful of the important, it's a responsibility. You, you, you know, that it's a responsibility. It's a pretty big responsibility, but it's such an, it's such a gift. I think it's such a gift, you know, that we have as leaders when, when we choose to be leaders, which I think, and I know you, 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 you understand this like I do. It's a choice we make, right? It's not a nine to five gig. It's not a Monday through Friday gig. It's a choice we make. It's an attitude. It's a it's a mindset, right? Yeah. So so when you talk about that, one of the things that we try to differentiate ourselves from in Statarius is how do we manifest that mm-hmm. that navigational leadership, that navigational moral compass? Yeah. And the way we do it is by writing a personal mission statement. Yeah. Because the personal mission statement is a description of how I'm going to show up. You said the words, how do I show up? We use this in coaching all the time. Yeah, yeah. If I'm coaching David and I say, so David, how did you show up in that situation? You go, uh, not so good. Okay. <laughs> so how are you going to show up next time? And we create a yeah. vision of it. Yeah. And we understand yeah. in a leadership way and a role model, as you talk about, you yeah. know, all of these, these words that we use, but the question becomes how, how do we do yeah. this? Yeah. Write a personal mission statement. Understand how you want. As we say, if you can't figure it out, then ask the question, how do I want to be viewed 20 years from now by my children, by my spouse, by my friends, you know, by the people that I work with, my coworkers and all the people that I've crossed paths with? You know, I have to tell you a quick story. I was uh, at the grocery store today and I'm returning something. And the woman that I was returning to, she was a little grumpy. Yeah. Okay, I have, to, I have to admit she was a little grumpy. And when people are grumpy, I always take it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to try to find out. And she had her name on. Her name was spelled J-A-S-S-Y. 
So I said, I said to her, so I'm just curious, how do you pronounce your name? And she says, Oh, Jazzy. I said, Jazzy, that's really cool. Is it like, are you into jazz? And she says, no, my name's Jasmine. But when I was younger, they started calling me Jazzy. And, and I'm like, Jazzy, that's, that's really cool. I love that name. It's like so unique. Yeah. And she, her whole attitude changed. Completely. Right. Yeah. Completely yeah, yeah. changed. Yeah, yeah. Smile on her face, completely different. And, and to me, that's in those little micro moments that we talk about all the time in leadership. Yeah. How do you want to show up? Yeah. Am I going to take on her attitude and say, look, this needs to be taken care of right now? Yeah. Or am I going to find a way to break down the barriers? Yeah. And whether she's able to do it or not is going to be in her job description, not a personal attack on me as a customer. That's right. right. That's right. But yeah. Let's do it with a smile. I think that's a small example of how we can role model things on a daily basis with our moral compass that you're talking about yeah. and a personal mission that says every interaction I have, I want to add. This is in my mission statement. Every interaction, I want to add value yeah. to the life of the other person. Yeah. Sometimes that's by making a joke. Sometimes yeah. it's by recognizing them. Yeah. Sometimes it's by holding them accountable. The mission statement, as you say, is a accountability mechanism to tell me every single day, how am I going to show up? And that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And and that example with Jazzy is a wonderful leadership example, right? Because because you could have you could have gotten sucked right into that. You you could have picked up her attitude. You could have reflected her attitude. Both of you would not have had a good time, right? And you would and maybe not. Maybe you wouldn't get what you needed there, or it would not be done accurately. Or, or she would tell you that, you know, you, you came in in the wrong day. They only take returns on Tuesdays and, and you'd be stuck. Right. And so, okay, but here you are. And, and that's an example of, of seeing that opportunity. And I think it's also a reflection of that gift that I talked about before that you, you could have a, you could, you could make a positive difference. You know, you, you'll appreciate this. I've got a quick, a short story for you. Another one of my mentors, I've been fortunate to have a lot of mentors over the years. And one of my other mentors many years ago used to say, listen, it comes down to this. Either your team is better off for spending time with you or they're not. And I thought, you know, that's such a great, it's, that's a great reminder, you know, and it's the same thing there. Either that interaction with, with this, with Jazzy was a good experience or it wasn't. And, and you play a role in that, right? I play a role in that. And so trying to be mindful of that, uh, it doesn't, does it work all the time? No, it doesn't work all the no. time because we're talking about human beings. But, but I think going into it with that, that openness and that clarity provides more opportunities than not. Yeah. So that my uh, favorite one is always everybody adds energy to the room. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Some when they walk in, yeah. some when they leave. Yeah, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah I mean, point, it's always there. It's just human nature. Right. Exactly. And some exactly. of it feels good and some of it doesn't. Right. So with your 101 leadership steps, uh, 101 navigating steps with uh, both of your books, how are you manifesting that with your clients now? What are you, what are some of the things that you're doing to help people, especially, you know, we're still in the throes of this uh, pandemic. It's, yeah. it's going to be with us for a while. People are struggling with uh, the uncertainty and the length and the lack of control that they feel, even if they've been vaccinated. Now we've got all these, you know, mutations yeah. of the uh, COVID coming. What, what are you doing today to help people be better leaders and follow their moral compass? Getting them to be clear on uh, the value of what I call recalibrating your leadership compass. So last year when the, the COVID hit, 
I began to think, okay, so there's a, there's a ton of bad news here. There's a lot of bad news everywhere you turn. It's not good. It doesn't look good. But I'm thinking just because I'm an optimist, I think by and large, I'm an optimist. I, I figured, well, okay, what's the upside here? And, and, and is there an upside? And oh, by the way, do we need to lead differently? How is this going to impact leadership? And I thought long and hard about it. And I talked to a lot of friends, a lot of colleagues, clients. And, and I came out of all that thinking that, you know, what we really need to do is take stock of our leadership. This, to me, is the opportunity for us to kind of, I called it recalibrating our leadership compass. And I actually developed a program with that title, Recalibrating Our Leadership Compass, that, that gave leaders an opportunity to kind of reset, to rethink, to, you know, to, to kind of look inwards. I mean, you, you understand it, you get it, you subscribe to the, the value, the power of, of self-reflection and self-awareness. It's like your mission statement example uh, that really gave people an opportunity. I, I tell them permission. Give yourself permission to kind of level set, to reset, to rethink this, uh, and to ask some important questions about who you are as a leader and how you're showing up. And, and what is it that you're known for? And is that what you really want to be known for? What do you really want to be known for? And, and then taking them through a whole series of different activities, assessments around values, around influence, to really get help them to get clear on what is their leadership story, how are they showing up, and how does it need to be different in this in this COVID world as well as in the post pandemic world. You know, I, I, I've had this philosophy for a long time that every year can be our best leadership year ever. Right, each year affords us an opportunity to make it our best leadership year ever. And so, you know, even in the middle of this last year, I was still having those conversations with clients saying, you know, you you can very any one of us can very easily say, you know, what the game's over. COVID has changed the game, and you know, it's, we don't, you know, everybody's kind of making it up as they go along. Right? There was no rule book for this, and every, you know, my my point was, every one of us can choose to kind of get out of the race. But the reality is there's people counting on us every day to be in the race, to be part of it, and to be that role model. And so I think a big, big part of it, and I'm continuing to do that with my clients to really take that time out. And to and, and I, I use that word permission again. I'll use it again. Permission to just slow down. You know, one, mm-hmm. of, one of the great benefits for me of, of COVID, um, of the whole crisis, was that it really gave me an opportunity to slow down. You know, I, 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 I've had this conversation with a lot of leaders I work with, particularly last year, that, you know, the common theme was prior to, let's say, March, every one of us was in 10th gear, Every one of us was, you know, pretty close to maxed out, right? We're going at a really fast pace. We got a lot of expectations, a lot of balls we're juggling. And, and there, there probably isn't enough time to really do a lot of deep thinking, right? It, it became a luxury. And, and now, you know, here we have this pace has slowed down and we're, and we're called to figure it out and maybe reinvent ourselves to some degree. And, and what, a, what an opportunity it is to do just that, to spend a lot more quality time thinking. Well, and I, I think there's a real key here, David. I think there's a key here when you, when you say that for leaders, and whether they're slowing down or not, they should always be taking time to think. Oh, you got to, yeah, yeah. Right, for that reflection and that stuff. And there's a couple of things that you said I want to I back up on because – you, you know, you asked the question. I really like what you're saying about recalibrating your leadership compass because 
What's important with that phrase is whenever I'm asked during this, is, is it, you know, how is leadership different? Is, you know, what, how is le- leadership is not any different. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely what right. we do in the, in the manifestation of our behaviors might be different. And I'm going to put it this way when we talk about yeah. compassion, accountability, yeah. quite often inexperienced or unaware leaders yeah. with compassion, accountability, do the exact opposite of what they should be doing in a given situation. Yeah. So when things are going really well, everybody's happy, everybody's doing great things. It's easy to be, easy to be compassionate, slap people on the back, have all the celebrations. Man, it's it's really easy. Everything's great. Okay? Yeah. Everything's great. When things are going bad, the the leader says, "No, you know, uh, we got the, we got COVID. We've got to look at our uh, every single detail of our expenses and so on, and 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 look at that. And that's absolutely necessary. But the way they treat their people is with a higher level of accountability. Mm-hmm. All right." In a situation where under crisis, people have a lot of fear. We're doing the exact opposite of what we should be doing. When things are going really, really well, the leader should be stepping up and making sure we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's and don't get complacent because yeah. that's what happens. That's right. And ensure that we're keeping our eye on the ball, so to speak, yeah. and make sure that we're executing, we're consistent with our culture, our context, our brand and all that stuff yeah. and hold ourselves accountable to the values and the mission of the organization and keep you know, you can still celebrate, yeah. but keep reminding people of the brand, yeah. the promise to our customers. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, when things are really tough, people tend to not need accountability. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be told you need to do yeah. a job. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be told that things are tough. We understand. And I, as we say, IGYB, I've got your back. What yeah. can I do to help you? Yeah. And show a little bit more compassion. So the shift on this balance between compassion and accountability, which, by the way, it's not either or. It's both all the time. All the time. Yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more. So true. All right. And you shift and you slide back and forth. And I believe the decision to that slide. And one of the things that you talked about in your, in the introduction that I read is this, this whole idea in the process of navigation, self-reflection, awareness and choice. It's making better choices, Mm -hmm. not changing leadership, but making better choices in the context of the situation. And that's what your second book is really all about, isn't it? Yeah. And and, and I think your point, you're so right on with that one. You know, your your point earlier that, you know, leadership hasn't changed. You and I know this, that the, the core elements of effective leadership are timeless, right? Trust, integrity, respect, authenticity, all of that, it, emotional intelligence, all of that is they're constant, right? It's, it's timeless, but you to your point, it's about that choice, right? And it's about that, uh, that heightened awareness. And I think it's also about having leaders just be more mindful of it, right? Because during those difficult times during COVID, you know, and that's part of what I was doing with this recalibrating your leadership compass, getting really clear on what their teams need and what the organization needs to carry this forward from them as the leaders and influencers, right? And so I, I think it's it's so important to know because one of the things, you know, early on I asked myself, okay, so is is leadership changing? Will will leadership be different uh two months from now, six months from now, a year from now? No, leadership, you know, the qualities that we just talked about, or I just referenced, will be, they're timeless, but it's just how we execute on it, how, how, we're, how aware we are of it, how mindful we are of it, and ultimately the choices we make to, to exert that influence, I think, is a big part of it. 
Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use an example of this is how and I, I tell people management will change. Mm-hmm. Hmm. types of tracking and, and accountability yeah. and uh, measurement and those things that, that, that will change, but leadership doesn't change. The principles of leadership don't change. And I was, I was talking to uh, owners of a company and they wanting to be collaborative with their organization went to them and said, uh, let's, um, what do you think about coming back to work? I mean, it's time we need to get back people back in the office and, and uh, how do you want to go about doing that? So they were asking all these questions and they didn't consider what needs to be considered in these collaborative uh, engagements with two or 300 people, what the boundaries of the conversation was. And good leadership have clear expectations, which you talk about in your book, have clear expectations about the boundaries that says to them, you know, we're going to get your input, but we're going to make the final decision and understand that at some point in the near future, at least part-time, we're coming back to the office. So how would you like to handle this? Do you want to do it two days a week, three days a week? Do you want to do it half days? Do you want to shift people around? We're open to all kinds of suggestions and understand that eventually, if things go the way we want it, I, we don't know when this pandemic is going to be over, but we will all be back in the office because we believe in proximity and collaboration in the kind of work that we do. So I've established the ground rules and I'm going to make the final decision. Well, they didn't say that. And guess what happened, David? Oh, I, uh, Gary, I've seen I've seen the exact thing happen. I've seen the exact thing happen, and and it was it was a mess because you know well, I would imagine that it was something like there weren't a lot of happy people, right? Because all of a sudden, without setting the boundaries, people thought that they could do whatever they want. I I had a conversation with a client of mine on Tuesday this week, who they're supposed to have everybody back in the office next Tuesday. They've been talking about it for a while, and the original approach was, you know, we, we want to hear from you. We want to get your input. We think July July 5th is going to be the day or July 6th is going to be the day. We'd like to be able to get everyone's input, uh, and they got lots and lots of input, and they did focus groups and all this. They never put any parameters in there. They never put any guideposts in there or boundaries in terms of exactly like you said, listen, we're going to be back to work at some point in time. We're going to take your input. We value your input. But ultimately, we need to make a decision to run this business. And we think that based on your example is so perfect that, you know, we, we believe based on the work that we do, being in close proximity to each other fosters a higher level of community, collaboration, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they didn't do any of that. And this client called me on Tuesday with, in his words, my head's ready to explode because they now have like a, a, a revolt going on that half the employees aren't coming back on Tuesday because they said, well, you said you wanted our opinion and our opinion was we shouldn't have to come back. Yeah. And that's exactly why people need to hire people like you and I, David, because <laughs> we know in that process, what might happen without having those clear boundaries. Yeah. And people, they they think they're doing good things in leadership by collaborating. And that is absolutely true. Yeah. And if you don't go about it the right way, you're going to create more chaos, more challenges. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, 10 to 20% of the people, no matter what they do now, will feel betrayed. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're not going to please you, everybody. If, That's right. If but well, you have a better chance of pleasing more people yeah. if the boundaries are clear and people aren't walking into the situation thinking that their opinion actually counts. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right that they have an opportunity. Now, my opinion counts. Yeah. 
but I, but the decision isn't mine. That's right. And, and, and the leader will also say, not only is the decision not yours, but you know what? You may not like my decision, but I will explain why we're doing what we're doing. Why? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the why behind it and how that yes. changes all of us. And, that, and that's another really important part. You know, so since earlier this year, actually late last year, I had a client ask me to develop a new program called Leading in the Post-Pandemic World. And so I, I spent about four months researching it, reading tons and tons of studies, lots of studies, probably approaching a thousand pages of stuff over a four month period. And, and one of the things that really speaks to what you just said is the critical importance of communication. You know, there was a, I think it was DDI had a study that came out only about a month ago that talked about the number of employees that were, that were really disenfranchised disengaged, of course, but disenfranchised because of the lack of clarity around what the plan was. And so, you know, basically what the the gist of that study was saying, listen, organizations, leaders particularly, you need to have a clear and consistent communication strategy around what's happening, what we know, what we don't know yet, uh, where we're going, where we might be going, how things might change. But clearly, you know, a, a consistent communication around that, because absent that, you and I know People feed the rumor mill, right? They make it worse. And, and that's yeah. never good stuff, right? That's never good stuff. And to your, to your point, people get confused with this and they say, well, I have to have all the answers. Yeah. You're like, no. Yeah. In fact, going out and telling people we don't have an answer and we're working on it is uh, powerful for a leader. Yeah, yeah. People are like, I'm struggling with this just as much as you are. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen this happen through the whole pandemic, yeah. where the things that we thought a year ago are very, very different than what we're doing today yeah. because of the information that people had a year ago. And here's the problem I have quite often in leadership with uh, some of the the naysayers of leadership yeah. is out of context, they'll say, oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. Well, we didn't have that information a year ago. That's right. Okay, so so stop. And if I'm working in a business and I can be vulnerable and open enough to be able to express what I think I know right now, what we believe we're going to do and where we're going to go within the vision, the values and the mission of the organization. Let's move together and go forward. Yeah, yeah. So, so true. And, And that whole point about being okay with not knowing is so, so important. And, and I, I'm just, I just have to share with you this a short version of this story. I had a plant manager I was working with some years ago who his division was acquired by a European company and they were being force-fed change, force-fed change. And he was the plant manager. And so he was the one who had to kind of make it all happen. And so one day in our one of our conversations, he said, you know, I don't even go to the bathroom here anymore. And I said, well, what does that have to do with anything? And he said, because I'm tired of people asking me what's going on. And I said, well, okay. And so what do you do? And he said, well, I go, you know, I, I, I go somewhere else. But he said, you know, I've even stopped going to the grocery store in town because people come up to me and ask me what's going on. But here's the punchline. I said, so, so what do you tell them? And he said, well, you know, uh, I tell them that it's on a need to know basis and they don't need to know. So I said, wait oh, a second, wait a ouch, second. Do ouch. you really say that? And he said, yeah, because I don't know all the answers and I'm not going to tell him I don't know all the answers. I said, well, let me ask you this. If I were to tell you, it's a need, if you asked me about this and I said it's a need to know basis and you don't need to know, how, how would that make you feel? 
And he said, pretty, pretty lousy. I said, well, there you go. So, so wait a second. It's perfectly okay to tell your team, I don't know, but I know that we have enough of a power of our team. I know we have enough history. I know we've got smart leaders in the, at corporate that are going to guide us. And I, I ultimately, I believe we're going to be okay. But to simply say that you're not going to tell them anything or you're going to use that response that it's a need to know basis and you don't need to know because you don't have the answers. Come on, really? That's not leadership. You know, that's, yeah, that's well, it's not effective leadership, right? It's not effective. Yes. It's leadership, but nobody wanted to get out of it. You know, so and and one of the things uh, like at Gallup with the strength based leadership, they talk about followers are looking for trust, mm-hmm. compassion, stability and hope when things are really, really challenging like they are now, what people are looking for is stability and hope. And if we can give people stability and hope with a little compassion and understanding where we're going to build that trust, balancing all of those things, you know, to your point, people would much rather hear somebody say, we're working on it. I don't know. I know we'll get through this. That's right. That's right. Rather than completely discounting that human being yeah. and saying, you don't have a need to know. That's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. You, why do you think I got out of the army? Yeah. yeah. Cause I thought I had a need to know, you know, well, not so much. Not so much. Not yeah. So but much. you're spot on Gary. You're spot on. I mean, that's a, that's the formula, right? That's, you know, and to me, it's just, it's just decency. It's kind you know, it's, it's common sense. It's decency. It, it's being, you know, it's being respectful. I think in many ways, yeah. you know, giving it to people, giving them the straight people want it straight, you know, I often tell leaders, listen, don't forget that you've got a lot, a lot of smart people on your team. And you know what? Respect that. And, and you know, they'd rather hear it straight that you don't know or we don't have all the answers than, you know, that kind of a response. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So to to wrap this thing up, David, I always ask my my guests the same question. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back to David 20 or 30 years ago, you know, early in this adventure that you've been on this, this path, what would you tell David? That's a great question. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is surrender more, trust more. I think, I think surrender and trust are. are, What is, what do you mean by surrender? Surrender is, is kind of get into the flow, you know, don't try to drive the bus so much, you know, for, for me, I mean, I, my mom, who was a big influence on me, she used to say, listen, you're not driving the bus. Okay. You don't drive the bus. And so if you surrender and trust, she was a woman of deep and profound faith. And so, you know, she would say that, listen, you know, you got to trust more, just kind of surrender and and get into the flow and, and focus on the stuff that really matters, you know, and that, and, you know, the whole intent for me of that book was trying to create a couple of better leaders, you know, my, my experience and really the ultimate motivation behind the first book and really the second book is that I've seen the impact of dysfunctional leadership on people's lives. And, and that, that really moved me to say, gosh, if I, if I can create a few better leaders, if I can take these, these good managers to your point, I love your thinking there, you know, take good managers and turn them into great leaders. If I can do that, 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 that will mean something, right? That, that will mean that I've added value. And, and I'd like to think it's more than a couple, but that's okay. You know, if I've converted one person into seeing their full capacity as a leader in every part of their life, that's a pretty good thing. And, and I think that's kind of the message I would give myself. Yeah. Trust more, surrender. Um, Trust more and surrender. I like it. Yeah. Go with the flow. Be in the, be in the zone, you know, be in the flow. Yeah, get in the zone, you know. It's okay. Yeah. I think as, as young people, though, we think that we're more in control. Oh. And 
we're trying to control everything. And that's just that ego driven approach to our life can, uh, for some of us, drives us crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In my last corporate job, you know, I was a general manager of an operation. I drove the bus, you know, I figured they paid me to drive the bus. And I was pretty intense. I was pretty intense, you know, and, and, you know, thankfully, I, I had a coach. Thankfully, they did a 360 on me. Thankfully, I had some good mentors in my life. And thankfully, I had that experience earlier in my life um, that kind of helped me to rethink that, you know. But to your, your point and going back to your book and wrapping it up here on navigating as a, as a leadership concept, you're not driving the bus. What you're doing is you're sitting behind the driver mm-hmm. and you've got your map, you've got your compass, you've got your strategy, your direction, your mission, your values, your vision. You've got all that. And you say, hey, listen, turn left on the next yeah. street. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you if you have trust with them and they trust you mm-hmm. and th- there's compassion, accountability, yeah. do you know what's going to happen? They're taking the left. There we go. I think that's where we need to stop right there. We've got, we've got the person driving the bus. So David O'Brien, thanks so much today for uh, sharing your thoughts. Oh, it's a pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com.